One of the things that seems to have become my speciality in this church is the, uh, the special occasion service, you know, Christmas, Easter, harvest and so on. And it's not just because I'm an old folk, you like tradition, although I am. And it's not just because people enjoy it, although we do. But I firmly believe that some traditions are good and helpful to us. Even the Lord Jesus needed his rhythms and routines, didn't he? He wasn't his God, but he observed the seasonal festivals and the daily routines that helped him to stay close to his father. You know, because Jesus wasn't his God, we tend to think prayer was just easy for him. But we know he was human, and we even know that he was tempted as we are. So if he needed disciplines and routines and reminders of the things God has done in the past, then why on earth would we think we don't need them? Uh, Jesus would have grown up well-versed in the Jewish customs, reciting the Shema morning and evening. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and so on. And they had other prayers that they used to recite, repetitions that were worship and praise and thanksgiving and petition, and everybody did it because they understand, understood that they needed to concentrate their mind on God's word. And if you think about it, they had nothing like the media distractions that we have to contend with, so it's no wonder we find prayer a struggle, is it? Jesus would have been uh, expected to attend the synagogue on the Sabbath to observe the three daily times for prayer and to recite the Shema morning and evening. He spent a lot of time alone with his father. We know that. Um, But it's also true that his day or his week or his year was lived in the framework that was set up to help the people of God and to stay close to God. In the Old Testament, the people were expected to pray day and night, twelve, uh, sorry, twice a day. So that's every 12 hours. I'm really good at maths, okay. It's every 12 hours, isn't it? And to, to stop and recite the word of God and to pray. But it wasn't meant to be a burden to the people. It was meant to help them. And somebody said, it's hard to backslide in 12 hours. But, you know, if you don't think about the scripture from one Sunday to the next or for two or three days at a time, Um, well, then I suppose you can begin to backslide in that period of time. I think it's hard for us to imagine that kind of structured spiritual life, but God could and did break into that routine, including most spectacularly on the day of Pentecost. Did you know the outpouring of the Spirit came during a set organized time of prayer? You know, the set times were 9 a.m., which they call the third hour, 3 p.m., which they call the ninth hour, and sunset. So when Peter famously said in Acts chapter 2, you know, they'd been filled with the Spirit and people said they were drunk. And he said, no, because it's only nine in the morning. So we see it was happening at the set time for prayer. And then in Acts chapter 3, a crippled beggar was healed because it says Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. And in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius saw his vision and all his household got saved. He saw that vision during the time of prayer. It says at three in the afternoon, he had a vision. So there were daily rhythms. And you know what? I need daily disciplines to help me in my walk with God. And if I um, neglect those daily disciplines, well, you know, I can very easily start to 
backslide and forget what God has said. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles, that was an annual tradition. It always took place after the harvest had been gathered in. In fact, sometimes it was called the Feast of Ingathering. And the people used to make little booths or shelters um, out of palm leaves and sort of stay in them. And it reminded them of what it must have been like for the Israelites traveling in the desert, uh, living in fragile dwellings and completely dependent on God. It was all highly symbolic and it must have been a lot of fun for the children. But what they were doing, they were acting out their faith. They were celebrating their history. They were saying thank you to God for what he'd done in the past. And they were saying to themselves, what God has done before, he'll do again. God has blessed us in the past and he'll bless us again. Now, Harvest Festival is all about this. It's about recognizing what God has done and that everything we have is from God. It's about saying thank you to God out of our abundance, and sharing with the poor. So it's a very good tradition. It reminds us of God's power and his generosity. And a few weeks ago, I was reading about the Feast of Tabernacles and the time when it was rediscovered, uh, when Ezra was reading the scriptures to the people after the rebuilding of the walls. And my reading said this. The people are actively looking for visual ways that they can live out God's word in their lives. And they find that his word for the present is tied up firmly in their history. So they go out into the hills and bring back branches to make shelters, like the ones their ancestors inhabited in the wilderness, a symbolic act celebrating what God has done in past generations of their people. And I was really struck by that one sentence. I sensed that it's important to us where it says his word for the present was tied up firmly in their history. And annual traditions kind of help us to stay connected with our history. So I'm going to come back to that point. Symbolism still has a place. In 2006, the Archbishop of York, he spent time sleeping rough in a tent, except not really because it was inside his cathedral. Uh, but his aim was to raise awareness of what life is like for refugees. And we might not have a cathedral to set up a tent, but I think there's nothing to stop us using our imagination in our walk with God. So I was asking myself a question, how can we act out our faith? You know, I love the traditional songs. You know, we did the medley and it's great, but words can be cheap. And we really do have to do something as well. Something visual, meaningful, effective, that proclaims to the world who we are, who we believe in, and what he's called us to do. And that's why at Harvest Festival, there's always a harvest appeal. And all of these gifts that we've brought forward are an important part of the Harvest Festival. You know, our hearts break for the poor little refugee children. Anybody would want to help them. But it's more than compassion. It's proclaiming that God is our provider and what we do, we do in his name. So the annual Harvest Festival is Harvest Thanksgiving and Harvest Giving. And we know that we've got a lot to be thankful for, don't we? Let me read you something from a magazine that I can't say I'm very familiar with. It's called Farmers Weekly. But it's this... <laughs> oh, yes, Brian. Must read it every week. 
Okay, Brian will have read this. It's uh, this September's edition. It said, late maturing crops and bouts of wet weather mean the 2015 UK harvest is now one of the slowest progressing of the last decade. Analysis blames the sluggish start to harvest this year on crops taking longer to fully ripen. The setback to progress was then made worse by the heavy downpours experienced in most parts of the UK during the second half of August. Well, do you know what? I didn't know that. I had no idea there'd be no idea there'd been a sluggish start to the harvest this year. And you know why I didn't know? Because the supermarket shelves are always full, aren't they? We have a surplus to all we need. You know, in some parts of the world, variable weather can mean big problems and poverty and so on. But uh, have you ever woken up afraid that Tesco shelves will be empty? You haven't, have you? Um, by average standards around the world, we are the rich and we know it. So it goes without saying, in thanking God, we must also give out of our abundance. But even as we do that, I was thinking as well about how this harvest festival looks in another place. Not in the refugee camps, although I hope this will bring a little joy into shattered lives. But I was thinking, how does this look in heaven? Because you see, recently I was reading Revelation, and it's hardly the easiest book in the Bible to understand, but one thing Revelation does, it causes you to see things from the other side, as it were. You get a glimpse of what's going on in heaven. Imagine we're praying, as we do, not just for the refugees, but against ISIS and whatever. And we're praying for solutions to the overwhelming migrant crisis and all of that, which is too big for us. Everybody agrees Europe has got to do something, but nobody knows what it ought to be. And I just sensed that God was saying to me, think about the other side of prayer. Think about heaven where the things we pray are being heard and listened to. Think of everything the Bible tells us about what God is like and how he responds to our prayers. And imagine that unseen realm where angels and demons do battle and where the outcome there determines what happens here. This really adds to our sense of the importance of what we do, doesn't it? You know, viewed like that, all of a sudden, this isn't just a twee little annual ceremony. And that's another reason why I feel so strongly that we mustn't let these traditions die out. I'm told that already a lot of schools don't bother with Harvest Festival and even some churches. But we are the people of God and when we pray and when we declare what God has said, what's happening in that other realm, that unseen realm? Some time ago I was reading in Revelation 5. And in Revelation 5, you get a glimpse of heaven. You see, somebody has seen heaven. Because <laughs> when you read Revelation, John writes several times, I saw, I looked, I heard. And he's describing the scene. And he heard a song. And I was reading it that day. And as I was reading it, it was though, as though the Holy Spirit was saying to me, join in. 
And this is the song. It says, in a loud voice they were singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise to him who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And I had this sense of the song in heaven, you know, ringing out in heaven, but also of being part of it. And I put a worship CD on because the Spirit was saying to me, join in, be part of it, be united with heaven. So today in this church, are we just going through the motions because it's an annual routine, it's harvest time, we do it this time every year. Or are we joining the song, connected with heaven, empowering angels and archangels? I think God wants us to sense his presence with us. And also the great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. You know, it's not like we're down here and they're up there. But the kingdom of heaven is among us and we're part of something so much bigger than planet Earth. Now, I'm not an expert on the book of Revelation, but... It really gave me this sense of connection with heaven and awareness of our songs, joining their song. And even more importantly, the other side of our prayers, where yours and my poor efforts of prayer are actually heard. And this lifts our daily disciplines and our annual festivals to a much higher level. With this in mind, I looked again at some of the Psalms and I was thinking about what's happening on the other side of prayer. You know, when people say things like this from Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? You know, that's that's a, a pretty bleak cry, isn't it? But an honest cry. Or this one from Psalm 42, my tears have been my food day and night while men say to me all day long, where is your God? Now, just think about these raw emotions reaching heaven. God is a loving father. You know, how does he respond to these raw emotions? Is it because the Holy Spirit joins the psalmist in the song that the cry of anguish suddenly becomes a cry of faith and trust? Psalm 13, I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. Psalm 42, why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. It's like there's a two-way conversation going on, isn't there? The psalmist knows that he's heard in heaven, and even as he complains, he's also reassured. And I'm asking the Lord to make me aware all the time of this kind of other side of prayer. Even as I make my request, I want to know what God is saying back to me, how he's receiving it. It's all about Uh, playing the pauses, isn't it, Rach? You know, uh, what does it mean to him as I talk to him? And when we praise and worship and give thanks, we want to be aware of the effect that it's having our angels strengthened by our praise. Probably one of my favorite psalms is 103. And I imagined reciting it and visualizing what's going on in heaven when I do. It begins, my soul, praise the Lord. Every part of me, praise his holy name. And I thought, is there a hush descending in God's presence? Is it like, wait a minute, somebody is telling himself, herself, to praise the Lord. 
And then it goes on, my soul, praise the Lord and never forget how kind he is. He forgives all our sins and heals all our sicknesses. He saves us from the grave. He gives us love and compassion. He gives us plenty of good things. He makes us young again. The Lord is kind and merciful. He's patient and full of love. So now what is happening? Is God smiling when he hears these words? Is he blessed by my prayers or yours? Are the angels bowing down before him in acknowledgement of these truths as we speak them? And then it says he doesn't always criticize. He doesn't stay angry with us forever. We sinned against him, but he didn't give us the punishment we deserved. His love for his followers is as high above us as heaven is above the earth. And he's taken our sins as far away as the east is from the west. The Lord is as kind to his followers as a father is to his children. So where did that come from? Was David troubled by his sin? And as he turned to God and he made the connection, did the Holy Spirit pour out reassurance and love and forgiveness so that it became part of the song, prayer being that two-way conversation. And here's the flip side of what I'm talking about. What's happening then when people complain, when people reject God because life isn't fair, when they blame him for everything the devil's done, Have you ever considered what goes on in the unseen realm then? Because it occurs to me that it gives power to the enemy. It strengthens his hand. Unseen, hidden, manipulative. He does the damage and God gets the blame. And the more he can stay hidden, the better he likes it. If the world doesn't know it's him and blames God, he's left with a free hand to carry on. And so this is why when we come to pray, yes, we pray honestly. Yes, we pray through our tears very often, but always with thanksgiving, always recognizing that God is good. Didn't Paul say to the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, we weaken the enemy when we bring our requests with thanksgiving. Being real, being honest, yes, but always acknowledging the truth of who God is. Because it's true, he is good. And... Prayers like that undermine the enemy, and that's why you get the peace. It's that two-way process again. God is listening and reassuring, and the devil is silenced. You know, when you keep in mind what's going on on the other side of prayer, where it's heard, it makes perfect sense. There are approximately 7 billion people on planet Earth, apparently. And my mind cannot take it in that God knows all about me. God knew me in my mother's womb, Psalm 139. He knows the number of hairs on your head, Matthew 10. And there's a record somewhere, perhaps it's in your head, of things he's done for you. Countless prayers that he's answered. Special friends that he designed with you in mind. The family that you love. Your specific talents. 
What do you think happens in heaven when you start to recall all this and you start to say thank you to God for it? Well, if it only blesses God, that's enough, isn't it? If it only calls the hosts of heaven to a song of praise, that's enough. But what if it also releases power and even changes history? Maybe just your little corner of history. But if God has always been there, if he's watched over you, waiting patiently to be acknowledged, waiting for you to pray, what might change in yours or my life when we bring it to mind and we start every day with thanksgiving and we include thanksgiving in all of our prayers? See, Harvest Festival is just a reminder to us, isn't it, to do that, to be thankful. It's once a year, but it's a nudge to live our lives and pray our prayers with thanksgiving. Think about this. Are you a Christian just because you made the decision to follow him? No, it was a two-way process. Something was going on in heaven. He woke you up. He quickened your spirit. He gave you life. He put his spirit into you. He turned your life around. We're not separate, us down here, him up there. So... This harvest festival, this season of thanksgiving, let's keep in mind that we're in it together, heaven and earth. We're all in it together as we thank God for what we've got, but also as we look to those who haven't got what we've got and as we pray, especially for these refugees who've lost everything. Just have a look at this picture of the beautiful city of Aleppo in Syria before the war. It was a lovely place to live, and as it is now. You know, when groups like Britain First demand that we send them all home, well, what to? I mean, how do you go home to that? I pray that we'll hear God and our leaders hear God and the refugees hear God and the hell that is Syria can be saved because he's not up there indifferent to their suffering. We can feel so inadequate in the face of all that's going on in the world till we remember that it's not only in the world that things are happening. There's a lot going on in heaven as well. There have been worse migrant crises in Europe, you know. Uh, there were tens of millions of refugees in Europe in 1945. I said earlier that God's word for the present is tied up in our history. Yesterday, my son sent me an article from the BBC website. It's about fairly recent history, and it should encourage us um, today because it has to do with a different nation, a different conflict, but nevertheless, let me just give you a snippet from it. The date, the 9th of November 1989, is etched in history as the day the Berlin Wall came down. But was it actually a prayer meeting held exactly one month earlier that made the fall of the wall inevitable? Ignoring death threats and huge banks of armed police, thousands gathered at St. Nicholas Church in the East German city of Leipzig on the 9th of October, to pray for peace. That's 26 years ago, yesterday. Exactly a month after the events of the 9th of October, the Berlin Wall came down, amid scenes of jubilation witnessed around the world. The weekly prayers for peace continue at St Nicholas, 
After the fall of the Berlin Wall, it went back to being a normal parish church, but their pastor said their actions had not been about boosting attendance figures in their congregation. We did it because the church has to do it, he said. You know, we can only imagine, can't we, what was happening on the other side of prayer when that prayer meeting was held exactly one month before the Berlin Wall came down. We can only imagine power released in the heavenly realm. So this morning, as we bring our requests to God in praying for these refugees, we do it with thanksgiving because it's our harvest thanksgiving. We make our requests for the refugees of war who've lost, who've lost everything, believing that we are one with heaven and that power is released as we pray. So I want to finish by saying a prayer together. This prayer is from Exeter Cathedral. And as we pray it together, I just want to think about our connection with heaven as we pray and think about where this prayer is heard and how it's received. Let's say it together. God of compassion, whose own son experienced life as a refugee, we remember those fleeing from danger, hungry and afraid, with nowhere to call home. God, we ask for them warmth, security, food and peace. God of hope, we thank you for those who are working to bring relief and comfort to those displaced showing glimpses of grace in the darkness of despair. God, give them strength. God of justice, guide the nations and the leaders of the world towards peace. Stir hearts to be generous and compassionate. God, help us to play our part in bringing about the change that we want to see. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And so, Father God, the God of compassion, of hope, of justice, we thank you today for the harvest. We bring our offerings in your name, Lord, and we intercede alongside the hosts of heaven for peace in our time. We thank you for all that you've given to us, and we pray for these others that you are not indifferent to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.